and this will be an episode with Lena Smart from MangoDB. MongoDB. MongoDB. Apologies. So, Lena, welcome to the podcast and the movement. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm thrilled to talk with you. This will be a first, but before we talk about what this is a first in, I just want to remind the audience, we are now in season two. We're focusing on consumerization of the employee experience. And the deeper I dive, the more I realize, you know, the breadth and scope of this thing. It's, it's monstrous. Employee experience. What phase? Which employee? How are we thinking about business outcomes? There's just so much to unpack. And in season two, we've really went outside the season one parameters of who we're talking to. In season one, my suspicion was this is for L&D change management, HR. And um, I thought, especially the technology folks, the CTOs, the CISOs are going to be a bit more on the compliance, a bit more stringent. And then I started to meet amazing people such as Lena. And Lena is about to show us that she's going to break the mold. I've got pages of notes from our conversation talking about culture and values. And her really Um, interesting approach to how to think about consumerizing cybersecurity. Wow, that conversation for me was like mind blown. So Lena, first Chief Information Security Officer, I'm thrilled to have you on. I I am thrilled to be here. I think this is an interesting discussion. Uh, It is one that's starting to pick up um, some value. I was in Europe last week meeting with a couple of customers and this was almost top of mind. Uh, you know, how can we, first of all, retain the employees that we have? How can we make sure that the cultural values that we already have are being instilled in new hires and also being reminded regularly to our existing folks? And the com- a company like MongoDB is just, I mean, I love working here. Anyone who knows me knows that I love working here. Um, I get paid to do a hobby, as I'm, I, I like to say, but don't tell my boss that. I will I will not between (laughs) us and this audience (laughs) Um, but having watched Mongo grow from about 800 employees when I first started to nearly 5,000 there there's definitely a cultural shift occurring where we're having to always be mindful of of our cultural values and making sure it doesn't get lost in the noise because 5,000 people is a lot of people and the noise is just, it, it's everywhere. It's in, whether you think about it on a professional or personal front, I don't, every year it feels like it's accelerating exponentially. When I look at my phone in the morning, oh my goodness, I, I don't even know which thing I should be looking at or which notification to start with. But Lena, there's something you said in our discussion. You said, hey, you know, you come from finance world and you said I'm, I'm ob- you're observing tech growing up. And, and that was was really interesting. And, and I think it really helps to define your point of view. So maybe if you could double click on that comment for us. So I came a long time ago because I'm, I'm in the older set of tech people. I'm certainly not a millennial. And I, I come from a background where I've worked in shipyards. I've worked in fintech. I've worked in pure finance. Uh, I've worked in tech. Uh, And I've also worked in the power industry, which uh, funnily enough is extremely technical uh, and also very mature in its technical outlook. So when I first joined MongoDB, 
and let me make it clear, as their first CISO, I, I wasn't brought in to fix any security problems they had. They already had a very, very good security process in place with policies and procedures and, you know, the whole nine yards. They just needed that, um, as we say in the industry, one throat to choke. They needed one person responsible for security that they could point to, that the customers could go to, that's a trusted entity for security within the company. So that's kind of where I was going with where tech is starting to mature. Uh, I think tech's always had the chief technology officer and you know the product officer and obviously the revenue officers and things like that. But I think some companies may be a wee bit late coming to the table with a CISO. They had a CIO probably, uh, and actually we've just hired our first CIO, so maybe she'd be a good person for you to talk to after me. Uh, so where I'm where I'm seeing the maturity coming now is, you know, there's lots of uh, regulations coming down the pike, especially in Europe, when it comes to data privacy, data governance, data sovereignty. And that's where the maturation of technology, I think, is coming. Yeah, interesting. And you also said CISO and I said CISO. I, I need to ch learn my language. You, you can tell this. The, these are new functions for me to, to, to connect with. Um, so you became that that one throat in, in in a matter of speaking that you are the responsible one. So I think you know as we think as we talk about the future of people initiatives, one of our pillars, four pillars, became we got to focus, move away from thinking about success and activity to business outcomes. And you and I really connected on that. You said absolutely, and then we begin to focus on one specific business outcome that's you know, right in your wheelhouse, which is cybersecurity. So maybe let, let's paint the vision for the folks listening, and many are not in your space. So when we think about cybersecurity, and if I'm a L&D leader or change management leader, or an I'm operations leader that's talking about people initiatives, let, let's give it to them in layman's terms. When you think about an outcome in cybersecurity, what does success look like? Success to me looks like a workforce that is accountable for their own cybersecurity. And that means, you know, we've got a huge work from home uh, effort. It, you know, globally, the world changed two, three years ago with COVID. And we saw an enormous uptick in people working from home and they've remained to work from home. But with that comes some personal responsibility for security. So we make sure that the uh, devices that we give people to use, for example, their laptops are secured. We manage those devices and people know that if they use a MongoDB laptop or PC, for example, to work from home, it will be managed by the IT department and it will be in some cases monitored depending on the work that they do. And I don't mean in a big brother way, I mean in a, an accountability and responsible way. And we also make sure that all of our employees are very well trained on cybersecurity and what their role is. You know, a lot of people, when you start a job, the last thing you think about is, how am I responsible for cybersecurity? They've got a CISO, that's her job. And that's, you know, that's a kind of immature outlook. So what we try and do right at the beginning, even during our onboarding sessions, is here's how we protect our customer data. Here's your role in helping with that. And it's, it's simple things like don't click on the link with email. If you're not sure where it came from, send it. We, we've made things, we've tried to make things as simple as possible. We've got a different uh, bunch of tool sets where people 
If they receive an email and they're not sure of the sender, they basically click on the little fishing hook at the side of that email and it sends it off to my team and we analyze it and we come back to them very quickly and say, it's okay, this is a good email, you can click on the link or thank you very much for reporting this to us, this is in fact phishing and you saved us from a possible ransomware attack, well done. And sometimes we'll even let their supervisor know if it's a particularly insidious piece of ransomware or, or you know, an email with a really bad link on it, we will give that person kudos. Mm-hmm. And then we took that one step further because we realized that people were really interested in security. And so we set up a security champions program, which is where people volunteer to be the voice of security for their team. And I think that's that's definitely causing some interest in the industry. Uh, and, and that's where we're going to go next. And, and to, to frame this up for the audience listening, when we talk about consumerization of the employee experience, it's the really reorientation of what we're looking to accomplish to focus on them, whether you call them employees, in some cases, folks refer to them as humans, users, there's many, it's, it's on them, it's, it's those that are going to be using it. And what I thought was really interesting, when I said consumerization of employee experience, Lena, you said, hey, let's talk about consumerization of, of cybersecurity. And then you began to outline a program and its successes. The fact that some of the folks who participated in this program then decided to apply and be accepted into your department. But also you use the word volunteers. And, and as you describe, there are sometimes I hear volunteer, but it's actually voluntold, right? It's like, no, no, no. In your case, as you described it, I'm like, this is legit vol- volunteers that are coming in. So I think your way to be able to consumerize that cybersecurity through this program is something for the audience to listen to and learn from. So let, let's start at the top. Like if you could define the objective of the program, maybe define a bit, how did you go to market internally? As you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of introducing marketing concepts for internal audiences. So now walk us through this program and I'll interrupt with occasional questions, uh, attempting to try to listen to it for the first time as our audience is so that I'll be like, Oh, Lena, no, let's go here. or Let's go there. But please t- take us away. Describe the program. So when I first started at MongoDB, uh, nearly four years ago, um, I had already introduced this program to my, my previous employer as well. And it, it was fairly successful, but it was a fintech company, obviously super secure. I, you know, I enjoyed my work there. But there wasn't that many volunteers, you know, people, it was a wee bit immature in terms of, of where we were for just for volunteers. And so when I joined MongoDB, I thought, OK, I really need to start thinking about how to make this more successful. And I thought, where did I fail the last time? Well, the last time it was like my idea and it came from me. And while I was CISO at the company, it wasn't the CEO saying, you know, people should really be interested in this. So I I got buy-in from the top, but there was no go-to-market strategy, if you like. So my go-to-market strategy at MongoDB was, let's get buy-in from the top. Let's start at the top. And if our uh, CEO, Dave, agrees with what I want to do, we're good to go. So fast forward, probably six months after I started, um, we had an all hands meeting, which is just as it sounds. Um, our CEO is uh, very open, very transparent in his working practices. And we have these very open and very positive discussions, uh, usually once a month. And so I had a chance to speak at this all hands meeting and introduced myself. And I said, this is what I want to set up. I'd like to set up a volunteer system. It's not voluntold, uh, purely voluntary, global uh, 
Two requirements. One, you have to want to learn more about cybersecurity and be the voice of security for your team. But two, you also have to get permission from your supervisor. Because what I found sometimes is people will volunteer for things because, to be blunt, they think it makes them look good. And mm -hmm. I didn't want that kind of volunteer. I wanted somebody who really had it in their bones to learn something new or brush up on existing skills. But their boss had to be supportive of it. And so when Dave spoke about this, our CEO, he, he you know, there was no selling needed. He just basically said, we've got this idea. It's going to hold everyone accountable for security. But some of you might want to be more accountable, more responsible, just more involved. And, you know, ask Lena for more information. And we probably got a hundred and something requests straight after that all hands, which was amazing. And we, we realized quickly, well, I realized quickly, oh, this is this is going to be bigger than I thought, which is amazing. <laughs> I, I thought maybe 10 people might be interested, but it's like, OK, a hundred. We need to actually think about this. And of course, as time went on, we whittled that down because we, we really only want one person from each business unit um, or each you know business group. I don't need five people in the uh, accounting T&E group to apply. For example, we wanted one or two people who were, um, you know, looked upon as the, the cyber leaders for their team. And so probably when we first kicked it off, we had about 50 people. I know Ben, um, who is who is also on this call, he's, he's part of our marketing operation. He is part of this group and, you know, he attended the first couple of meetings. And unfortunately, then COVID happened. And so we put it on the back boiler because everybody was busy dealing with family and personal crises and just, you know, this situation we found ourselves in. But probably a year into COVID, we thought, you know what, we should start this up again. This was a really good programme. We don't want to lose the traction that we got. So we restarted it. But we restarted it formally. I actually got headcount for one full-time person to manage the programme. And I, that, that was the game changer for me, actually putting real time and money into it. So we had a real, you know, to your go-to-market strategy, we had a real uh, long-term plan, a real roadmap of where we wanted to get to. Uh, and so we we re-envisaged the programme. We brought Felix in, who runs our programme for us now. And we've incorporated a lot of the ideas that we got from the members. So we have a training programme. We have a book club. We have a movie club. We even had a competition last year where a couple of folks uh, won tickets with travel and hotel to go to DEF CON. And I mean, that can be life changing for people if they've never seen a cybersecurity conference at DEF CON. And they come back and they're, they're energised and they're, you know, they're talking to other people about security in a positive way. Because what I never want to be known as is a CISO who says no. We all know those folks. I, I am not, well, I think I'm known as anyway. The CISO who says yes, but. And the champions get that, my employ my employees get that, and my bosses get that. So they know that we're always very thoughtful in our actions. And so when it you came know, to the, sorry, on you go. Just a quick observation. Um, you, you know, one of the questions that we paused this week, and, and there was an episode I just published with PayPal, we, we said, do you care as much about your employees as you do your customers? And uh, if the answer to that question is yes, and you have a go-to-market strategy uh, internally, how do you staff it? And most organizations simply say, yeah, we care, we care, let's move on, right? If that's what you did with your customers, like, what would that look like? So I, I just think it's worth highlighting that your organization believed enough 
in its importance to allocate a full-time resource. And as you said, that becomes a game changer because there's someone responsible for it. This isn't an afterthought. This is an important, and then you begin to test, right? You tested different approaches, different messages, different channels, whether it's a movie night or book club. So I apologize for that quick interruption, but I thought it was warranted us to really highlight that as a uh, organizational decision to stand by its belief. No, it's a very good observation. And I, I, I don't ever mean to overlook the, the amount of impact that this, this has on the, the company. But sometimes, you know, we've been running it for a couple of years now, and we do get comfortable with it. So it's always good to be reminded that this is rare. I mean, getting mm-hmm. this input, getting this amount of feet of, of uh, you know, input from the CEO and below, and our board is even aware of this, our board, uh, I am extremely lucky to meet with our board once a quarter for at least an hour, and we, we talk off cadence as well, but the board is aware of this program and they think it's excellent, so to get you know buy-in at that level is just is unprecedented, and I think given the positive aspects of it, I can't even think of a negative aspect of it, to be honest, but the positive aspects have just been myriad, I mean, we work with the champions on things like our fishing exercises and we will do spear fishing exercises for specific groups so those that have access to critical customer data for example we will spear fish even 10 12 15 people in the company but we will talk to the champion of that group and say we're not being mean we don't want to catch anyone out or make them feel bad or awkward we just want to teach so what would be the best way to teach your team if they clicked on a link, here's what can happen. And then we take their ideas and we use that for the phishing. And, you know, we do get results. People do click on the link, which is what we want, because we can then use that as a learning. We don't ever want to, you know, you know, you've probably heard some of the horror stories of, of CISOs who run out fishing and they, they a week before Christmas say, click on this link for your $500 bonus. And then they're taken to a screen that says you're a naughty person for clicking on this link, you know, and you're not getting a bonus because it was phishing. And it's like, who does that help? First of all, production is going to go down, productivity is going to go down because I wouldn't click on an email link ever again if I got that response. Uh, so there you go. There's your productivity down the, uh, down the pipe. Uh, uh, and by the way, happy holidays, right? It's like, yeah, that ruins the whole the whole vibe between the individual and the organization. But but Lena, I think what is really uh, exciting there to point out, so you've got a general audience of the volunteers, participants, but then you begin to think about sending messages to specific sub-audiences there. And you and I talked about EAs. When you identify a sub-audience and then you send messages specifically to them, um, in many ways you're approaching this as a marketer would you're customizing the message based on specific audience, you know, demographics, their understanding. If you can walk through how you match the message to that specific uh, EA group in the example that you provided. Yeah, I love working with our executive assistants. They, they, they blow my mind. Um, I, you know, I started life a long time ago as a, an office junior and, and it was my aspiration to be an executive assistant one day and I achieved that and then I... My boss very kindly understood that uh, I wanted to do more and away I went. They gave me the opportunity. And that's what I try and do here as well. So with our executive assistant group, uh, my EA, Comey, who is also a member of the Champions Programme, she is the voice of security for the EAs. 
And so she lives their world. She lives in their world, and and I've taught her things like proximity to power, and why if I was a hacker, I would go after her. I would attack her rather than try and attack me or try and attack our CEO because there's every chance that she has all of my access. She has my credit card details. She has my calendar. She knows where I'm going to be. She knows my travel plans, what flight I'm going to be on. She knows where I live. You know, there's all this personal information that EAs have that are generally part of their job. And they are usually a prime target for the bad guys. And so with our EAs, and we're just about to kick this off actually next month, um, we do regular training and we will do things like how to protect yourself on Facebook. So we've all had these Facebook links where it says, what, you know, here's 10 questions to answer. What's your favorite color? What's your dog's name? Where did you go to school? And you know, you answer these and you think it's fun because you're comparing other people's answers. Me as a bad guy, I'm taking this and using this as the questions that you're going to be asked when you try and log into someone's email if it's part of their security. And just getting people to think like that and think, oh my gosh, I could be under attack and not even know it, again, is a game changer. Because the EAs want to learn. They understand their responsibilities. They know that they're responsible for the folks who run our company. And so we have regular meetings. We have regular trainings just aimed at the EAs. And we also take the feedback from them. So if something's just, you know, really, really technical or just... Um, and I'm not demeaning the EAs in any way, but it's just maybe a wee bit above their heads technically, we will break it down. You know, you can always tell an expert in the room if they can take something like cryptography, for example, and break it down into edible chunks. And then we also offer, you know, books and learnings, and we just try and make things as easy as possible for them. Um, We don't want people to feel awkward about asking a question. I start every meeting with, there is no such thing as a stupid question. You ask any question you want. There is no, I've had people say to me, this is a really stupid question, but, and it blows my mind. I'm like, oh my God, I hadn't even thought of that. So, you know, we we have to get away from this, you know, oh, I'm the expert in the room, so I know more than you. No, I don't. I I can learn from everybody every day. I mean, I learned from you already when you reminded me how important it was that I had a full-time employee running the the Champions program. It's (laughs) it's little things like that that really do pick me up. So just in terms of our EAs, we do look at them for phishing as well. We look at them for, you know, how should we be securing our uh, executives? Like, do you see your executive doing something stupid? And sometimes we'll get, yeah, so-and-so emailed me his credit card number because we had to change it for a flight. And it's like, okay, well, here's how you can gently go back to your executive and explain how that was a bad idea and how you can help them be more secure. And that works two ways. Number one, it gives them confidence in what they're going to talk to their boss about, gives them something good to talk about. But second of all, it gives them just more responsibility and more ways of contributing into their own job to make it more interesting. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it seems like you're taking a very, you know, learning, very soft approach to guide them along. And you yourself are open to learning. You're leading by example. What I think is really yeah, cool is uh, when you and I spoke about consumerizing the cybersecurity and walked through this example, you said to me, hey, let's talk values, right? 
values are showing so that Christmas example, click here for your $500 bonus. I mean, for whatever reason, it's just so visceral for me, like I, I, I imagine that feeling and, and it's cringe, right? Folks can't see your face. We're both kind of, oh, <laughs> no, ah, I this like is I was so... squeezing my eyes like, oh my God, I can't believe someone would have thought that was a good idea. I, right. I know, well, I know as a CISO where that idea came from, they wanted maybe they wanted to get lots and lots of clicks to show that people aren't learning and we have to do more and we have to buy this tool. I don't know the reason behind it. I never spoke to the CISO whose idea that was. All I want to do is not be that kind of CISO, <laughs> not run right. that kind of organization. And you explain the connection between all of those decisions and the values right within the organization one of the pillars of the future of people initiatives as we you know we focus on data driven but we focus on data driven with a heart and you you mentioned i believe it's six values in your organization we we won't have the time to go really deep in them but i think it deserves for the audience just to hear the a brief overview kind of a single click from from the values because they're so important and they showed up in our conversation multiple times so anyone can look, if you go Google MongoDB values, cultural values, they'll all pop up. I can give you a single liner for each. First one is think big, go far. Second one is make it matter. The third one, build together, which is what I do every day. Fourth one is embrace differences, very important. Fifth one is be intellectually honest. Again, we use that every day. And the sixth, and I think this is the most important one, own what you do. Be accountable for what you do. Be responsible for, for, for you do and show that. Show that in a positive manner every day. Don't use it to beat people up. You know, don't use it to have knowledge as power. Because I'll be honest, the first time I read the, the, the values when I was interviewing for the job and I thought, own what you do, what does that mean? Does that mean knowledge is power, that I'm keeping everything in for myself? No, it's the opposite. You're owning what you do. You're being responsible for what you do. You're sharing in a positive and proactive manner. Um, areas that you think the company could improve in. And I think that's why we've just been such a successful company over the past few years. Yeah, totally. Totally makes sense. Thank you, Lena, for sharing that. Um, where we'll go next and kind of spend the rest of our time and, you know, in almost every episode, I get to let's talk future state, which is now we are abandoning, you know, we are departing, detaching, find the right term from the current realities. We're not talking about You've shared in a great example of how you're approaching consumerization of cybersecurity. Now we're going to talk about an entirely different kind of future state. And as we think about the next frontier, you and I started talking about social media. We said, what is working with customers, you know, with, with humans today? Well, nudges, bite size, visual appealing, social interactions. And we began to ask the question of how do you, you know, what does the future look like to bring some of that knowledge internally to accomplish this specific focus for cybersecurity. So, and I know it was broad strokes, not looking for you to provide a, here's the formulated, here's exactly how it's going to take place. We are now detaching. We're saying, what are in broad strokes, what would that future look like? So if you were to look, you know, years out, and I asked you, what would consumerization of cybersecurity look like in that future state? In broader strokes, what, is, what does it look like to you? So I think it's going to be an extension of what we're doing just now. I think one of the biggest, and I, I spoke to some CISO cohorts before this, I, as Ben will attest to, I love to over-prepare for these things. And I was actually in a CISO uh, cohorts meeting yesterday. I, I can't say who was on there because it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a confidential group. But I did say that I was going to be on this podcast today. And I said, 
you know, where where do we see ourselves? Where do we see this all going in terms of, of you know, consumerization? And the vast response I got was, we have to do something about ransomware. What are we going to do about ransomware? Like, hmm. we have tools for practically everything else. And there's plenty of things out there that help alleviate some of the ransomware issues that we have. And, you know, MongoDB obviously has one with queryable encryption, and we can talk about that another day. But I think where we're going to go in the future is people are going to understand that they have more responsibility on a day-to-day level for security. They can't just come in, log into the machine, assume that somebody behind the screen, like the Wizard of Oz, is keeping them all secure and everything's perfect and everything's, hum- you know, everything's hunky-dory. I think people need to understand that, that you know, everyone's life is basically online now. There's, you, know, you can have as many privacy laws as you want, but as we, as we see every day in the newspapers, companies are being attacked, they're being held to ransom, and this data is being put out on the web. And I think we just need to start thinking about how do we, as an individual, make sure that we don't become a victim of that. And so what do we do? Well, you have to teach yourself. You have to acknowledge the fact that if you're not an expert in it, go learn. Go learn about how clicking on an email link can basically expose you to a nightmare. And I'll give you an example. I have a friend, a good friend, who phoned me in a panic uh, two days ago and and she said, "Uh, I clicked on a link and I know you told me I should never click on links for people I wasn't sure of, but it looked as though it was somebody that I knew. And I clicked on this link and now my entire life has been held to ransom. She's lost her bank accounts. She's lost her identity. Uh, she can't even log into her bank. She can't use her bank cards. She's been living on ca- off cash for four days. And so luckily and thankfully, I know some people who can help her. Um, but, you know, she she's a technically savvy individual. And to be hit with something like that is is you know abhorrent to me. So I think you know, I know that that one of your um, your your first season speakers were talking about how do leaders turn fear into fuel. I think that's almost where we are again. I think a lot of this stuff is cyclical, but I I do think we need to stop making people be fearful about clicking on links, but understand the implications if they do, and what they should do uh, to not exacerbate an already you know very dodgy system if that makes sense it's basically down to training accountability responsibility and have an understanding of what your role is when you log into your company system every day or even when you use your personal systems i mean you're painting a great you know north star this is where we had it and and i was really inspired by our conversation and i've been thinking about the notes and thinking about you know how do we describe the future and i think again you gave us a good direction now i ask myself how do you you know how do you get through the noise because let, let's think about the audience in in two factions there's one that wants to do right and then there's one that doesn't care right Right. So let's just focus for a moment on those that want to do right. And in that audience, the vast majority are probably just busy. They're busy. They got a lot going on. A lot of mindless activity. You get in the car, you get home. How'd you get home? I don't remember. I turn on my computer, all of these things, mindless. We need to get through it. Awareness. There are different cycles. And I've been thinking a lot about how do you, how did in the future, how would you get through that? And, And to me, it's how do you, D- deliver very small pieces of information 
How do you stay top of mind? How do you make it ultra relevant for them, given their roles, positions? Are they onboarding? Where's their, the cycle of the employee experience? So I wonder how you would think about really bite-sizing what you're trying to accomplish, maybe in different stages. There's awareness, there's training, there's, you know, those may be in a higher risk group because of their positions and their exposure to sensitive information. It's almost like taking your volunteer program and scaling it and automating it while also creating campaigns around it for, for this go-to-market strategy. Am I making sense? Like, well, it's okay if not, like, I'm, ju I'm just curious. No, you are. And I think I even can boil it down to one sentence. Make it personal. If you make it personal, and this will apply to the people who, are, who can't be bothered and the people who can be bothered, if you take it to a personal level, if you, and I, I, I actually want to work with Ben and the team on, on an idea that I've been formulating for a while, and it's basically going to be like a vignette, a series of vignettes of Lena clicks on email, you know, she's busy, there's a ton of stuff coming at her, you know, like you are waking up in the morning and I'm like, you know, my basically my entire screen of my iPhone is red with little dots of the, all the things I, I'm meant to look at. And I'm <laughs> like, just take a wee minute to center my mind. And I think it's really important that if we cut through that noise, as you say, and get to the focal point of make it personal, show people mm -hmm. this is what happens Lena wakes up in the morning, she's got 50, I mean, this morning I had 250 emails, I had 15 slacks, I had blah, blah, blah text, all this different stuff. What do I look at first? Am I missing something and am I hitting something I shouldn't hit? And so I wanted to do this vignette where I wake up, I click on a link because I'm so busy and I go down this rabbit hole. And I'm basically, I, you know, it gets very personal very quickly. I suddenly get an email from you know, a bad actor that says, okay, you clicked on this link, look what's going to happen to you now. And mm -hmm. we we see how my bank account is closed or my, I don't know, my 401k is emptied, you know, pick something. Uh, or mm -hmm. someone sends a mean email to my mum. I mean, that would, that would be a horrible thing. Um, mm -hmm. How do we make it personal for people but show them that there's a way out of it as well? Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's tools that can help, there's people that can help, there's, there's, different ways that people can help as well um that's where my mind would be is like make it personal make people understand that they do have a shared responsibility and i've seen people say well we should just write it into their job description or make it part of their comp you know if you click on three email links a quarter we're gonna we're gonna penalize you with having no bonus it's like really how's that gonna work people mm -hmm. just aren't gonna do their job they're not gonna click on any emails at all and when you ask them why they're not doing their job, they can turn around and say, you told me my bonus would be affected if I clicked on the bad link. I'm not clicking on any links. It's like, okay. So, you know, I, I get that people have these ideas of how they think it's going to work, but when you actually deal with human beings, it's not that easy. So, but no. I think the fundamental thing about humans is, and this is just my observation and I'm not a psychologist, but if you make it personal to them and if you show them this is, this is what could happen to you, this is how clicking on a link, and I, I know I keep going back to clicking on a link, but that's because that's what ransomware is. It's clicking on a link. It's as simple as that. If you do that, here's what can happen to you, your family, your livelihood. Think about it. Just really think about it and make it personal. Make it important to that person. And even if they hate their company and they don't care about what they click on in their company, um, at least show them that if you 
there, there's unintended consequences that may not they may not have even thought about by doing that and again taking it back to making it personal yeah yeah one of our pillars of future people initiatives we talk about hyper personalization like real what's in it for you so i, I think you're in the same symbol in the same uh, vicinity and, and when you gave the example of your friend like my mind went straight there i i just immediately started thinking uh oh have I like what what do I do like, I started thinking about what what would my life be like if, if I was hacked to this degree when you can't access anything well, our worlds are now and so just by making me aware of that story you have potentially altered my behavior now I would argue you've altered it for a finite duration of time before another thought and then maybe in a week out, I forgot. So I think there's a real question of continued awareness, continued bringing it top of mind. And how do we do that while staying personal or hyper-personalized? Well, we, we, do, we do try and take it in smaller chunks because that's massive. I mean, I, I couldn't, I can't imagine what my friend is going through and I'm trying to help her as much as I can. But I think in terms of making it in bite-sized chunks, we do training on things like, how to secure your Facebook account, how to secure your LinkedIn account, how to not be uh, used as, uh, you know, an asset by a nefarious group online. You know, just we're making it, we're trying to make it simple for people, but it's, as you know, it's a, it's a massive landscape that we're trying to traverse. And if we try and do it too quickly, people are just going to ignore it. And if we try and do it too slowly, they'll be bored. So you need to try and get into that, that sweet spot of, What's it going to affect? What's it going to take to affect that person's mind? And that's why I think these vignettes could be interesting because it's going to show, and, and maybe we even get real life examples of folks who have been hacked as to what was it like to try and remember every single password that you've ever had for every single application that you log in every day? Because this is what she's having to do. And you know, what do you do when you use a password manager which is then hacked, which happened to my in-laws? It's like when does it stop and you know how do you talk to my in-laws who are 80 years old about being safe online it's like it can be overwhelming but at the same time if you take it in those small chunks it can be very very satisfactory as well very very cool and and the more the, the further we go in our discussion the more i think that in itself could be an entire podcast talking about consumerization of cybersecurity, not, not just one episode, but episodes going deeper and deeper, thinking about the behaviors, thinking about those that are automated, thinking about how do we get, get someone's attention, because ultimately we're fighting for attention today in our yes. professionally, personally, think about them as employees or customers fighting for attention. And you're not the only initiative within your organization. Of course, there's so many other folks that are running initiatives also get trying to get their attention. Well, also as well, when you put, what I found as well, especially in the business world, if you put a number, you know, if you, if, if someone walks up to you and says, what would it cost my business if we got hacked? We did that exercise. Now, I'm not going to share the number, obviously, but it was a large number. It's like, how long would we be out of business? Who would be affected? What, what customers would we lose? How much would it cost us? And when you boil it down to dollars and cents, people are like, okay, okay, now I get it. And so if you take that to your personal life as well, because this, you know, this podcast will be listened to people hopefully who are not just working in tech, but they, they use tech every day. It's like, how do you transfer that knowledge into your personal life? And so I'll give you an example. I, I don't use a password manager. I use 
a box that I bought from Amazon where uh, I type my passwords in manually and I, I don't hold my, my passwords online. That's a personal choice. Um, but I've, I've now taught my in-laws and the other people at their, their nursing home how to use such a device because before it was written on yellow stickies and books and, you know, they even sell books on Amazon, like keep your passwords here. It's like, oh, here's a wee box that does it for you. It's like 20 bucks. You're welcome. So it, it's just, we, again, the small chunks of things. Um, if that helps one person not get hacked, then I've done my job. If that helps someone not go through what my friend is going through, that's worth it. You just you just told me something. There's a box. There's an actual box you can there buy on Amazon to enter your usernames and passwords. <laughs> what? Are, you're gonna show me the box. We're gonna I see will. the box. And now I can't find it. Where the hell did I put it? <laughs> We're gonna uh, need to start pivoting toward the, these being videos, not uh, not just audio. I will I will find the box and I will send you the details of it because it honestly it, and I know it doesn't sound very technical using a wee box, but it. It holds all my passwords and no one can access it except me. So so what we'll do is once I publish this podcast on LinkedIn, if you could put a picture of the box in, in the comment below for those that are curious, I think that's going to be fun. Lena, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, as far as this is our first CISO joining, the, and, and I don't, there's no difference. Like your approach and your care and your compassion for people and the way you're thinking about the business objectives and you know how how deliberate you are with with you know making sure that folks feel a connection to the organization. You know, despite these really sensitive things that you're trying to accomplish, uh, I think is really really cool, and I hope our audience can learn from you. Thank you very much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Lena, over and out. Looking forward to our next journey.